Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so we can develop better products for our customers. I'm interviewing speakers at my favorite annual conference for product managers. That's the PDMA Inspire Innovation Conference. We are in New Orleans, Louisiana. And this discussion is with Sean Hauser-Fedor, whose session is titled, Creating a Recipe for Innovation Success, Hershey Chocolate Company's Innovation Ops Story, which already makes me need a snack. Sean is the R&D Senior Director at Hershey, and she is about to share with us how Innovation Ops has helped Hershey, and it can also help your organization achieve innovation at scale. This episode is sponsored by PDMA, the conference I'm attending, and there's a professional association, that's the Product Development and Management Association, PDMA. They're the global uh, community of professional members whose skills, expertise, and experience power the most recognized and respected innovative companies in the world. PDMA is also the longest running professional association for product managers, leaders, and innovators, having started in 1976. Yes, there's some deep uh, body of knowledge that's been going on for quite a few decades. That's nearly 50 years now. I've enjoyed being a member of PDMA myself for almost two decades. They're the ones that introduced me to actual discipline, practices, research information about helping us be better in our careers. You can find valuable resources through PDMA and also the networking opportunities are fantastic. If you want to check it out yourself, membership now is only $35 to be a member of the Professional Association. That's at pdma.org. And as listeners know, we always provide a written summary of everything we discuss, including a one-page action guide to help you immediately put into action some of the key takeaways Sean will share. You can find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 464. Sean, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for the opportunity. It's great to be here. So I've been doing a, a few interviews at the conference and uh, no extra pressure, but this was my personally my most anticipated one. The reason for that is, is twofold. One, innovation ops is a topic we have never talked about before. We've talked about product ops a little bit and I suspect we're similar in intent, but, and the other one was last year, this Outstanding Corporate Innovator Award that PDMA does every year, which is a very rigorous thing, right? People have to apply, the application is not trivial. We have assessors go on site and evaluate the innovation processes and what's going on. Hershey won the award. It was great to hear a little bit about what went into that. And now the kind of the backstory, because we didn't hear anything about innovation ops, and you're talking about that at the conference. We probably should get started with a definition of that, but even before we get there, you've been with Hershey for a long time. And as I've talked with other people at Hershey, this is not uncommon. Like most of their professional experience, as I think is your case, what is going on in Hershey that keeps people part of the organization? It's a great question. And I will say it truly is the sweetest place on earth to work and to live. I think that one of the reasons that people stay at Hershey is really, it comes down to the people. Mm. The people we work with are people that we see outside of the office. We live and we work in a more suburban area. And so I think what makes it special is just people have this mutual respect for each other. And it's, a, it's an amazing company. We have a very wide portfolio of products. So every day is different. Every year is different. You have an opportunity to learn, grow, and develop into whatever you want to be. We have the opportunity to map your career either within a function or you can move into multiple different functions within the same company. I've had multiple jobs and many others have had multiple jobs throughout their career at Hershey. And I think that's what makes it interesting. It's the people and the opportunities. 
Yeah, it's not static at all. It sounds like a dynamic environment. You're always learning. You have lots of opportunities. And is li- do you live in Hershey, Pennsylvania? I live right outside of Hershey. It, it absolutely is. I was born in Hershey, so I'm a little bit biased. I grew up there. My father, if you've ever been to Hershey Park, has designed and created the Super Duper Looper and the Kissing Tower. He was in charge of their engineering department. Wow. So that's what first brought uh, wow. me to Hershey. And my family is still living there. So it's a great, it's a great place to live and raise a family and be able to work for a Fortune 500 company that has amazing brands and amazing products. And it sounds like a really good culture of people, a place where people enjoy each other, enjoy the work environment. Yeah. Okay. So innovation ops. Uh, We need some description of what this is. Uh, So let's just start there. I think about innovation ops is all the behind the scenes work that goes together to bring great products to market. Um, So it's the people, it's the culture, it's the processes, it's the tools. And it really takes all of those in order to bring together and operationalize innovation. Okay, people, process, culture, and tools are all parts that are involved. Take us on the journey a little bit about how long has there been a uh, even something called innovation ops, right? The, what was the transformation that was taking place to say, we, we need to somehow put in place, think about people, culture, tools, and process around innovation. So innovation really started with R&D and marketing working together. And they essentially owned every aspect of innovation other than bringing it to market through the sales and the commercial organization. Mm-hmm. When it started to really go, grow and get more complex, we realized that we were taking people outside their comfort zone. Food scientists, candy con- confectioners that make new products, they have different skills than our marketing team members. And neither one of those was really well-versed in product and portfolio management. So we found that by having a group that is dedicated to that and is able to facilitate as an objective party, essentially, they can allow and bring together the right people to operationalize innovation. Okay. So we we have specialists in some aspect of the business, right? Like a food chemist who really understands the confectionery process, right? And we would be probably asking something that they may not be particularly interested, maybe some heart, right? To think about how, how does your work fit the portfolio of our new innovation projects, right? So trying to line up people with roles. Was there any, let's just start with improvements there. So as you've gone through this to try to create that alignment and improvements, uh, what have you seen as outcomes so far? So I think there's probably three big takeaways. One is that we are much more efficient with our resources, both from a time, money, people perspective, as it relates to innovation. We've seen much better cross-collaboration across the business. I think just better partnership. The partnerships that I have today, being in a technical function with my finance partners, supply chain partners, and sales partners, has never been better. Mm. And finally, great business results. We have fantastic new products that are sustainable in the market, great innovation, and so that's really what the company wants. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so making better use of resources sounds like decreasing time to market on, on projects, choosing through all this, getting the ideas that make more sense for the organization and the customer, so more successful with what does get pursued there. Going back to the culture aspect, this was something when you presented last year with the Hershey team, culture stood out because what, what I recall was this environment where 
unlike many organizations that has a sales group, they have a marketing group, they have a manufacturing group or an engineering development sort of group. And ideas that come from one place might be thought of, they, sales came up with that idea, we're engineering, we're gonna do what we think is right. There was an expression that's not necessarily the case. And it sounds like in what you just said, the innovation ops has helped with that. Yes. Any comments on that? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And the fact that everybody has a seat at the table, ideas can come from anywhere. They can come from engineering, they can come from product development, they can come from sales. At the end of the day, if it's filling a gap or consumer need, we know it's gonna be successful. Mm -hmm. And so that allows everyone to be very collaborative and get behind an initiative to make sure that it's successful in the market. The work environment and culture, I'm getting, I'm get on Zillow later and look into real estate in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and see what the opportunities are to live there and maybe work some. What, what, one thing to, to add, I think, to that too, as you think about our culture, is our values. We have very specific values and behaviors that I think help to drive that. So one of them is about be real, you know, mm. be able to be willing to say what you mean and mean what you say. We champion the consumer. So the consumer is at the center of all of our innovation. We create the future. So even though today we're developing new products that consumers may like, we also have to think about what does the future look like? And we want to make sure we're taking action. So a lot of what we learned today around mindset and the behavior of innovators is around taking action. You have to take action. If you sit back and wait and expect someone else to, it's never going to materialize. Okay. I want to get into the kind of the, your innovation ops framework and how to think about that. One thing that came up at the, your presentation was basically applying jobs to be done to how you innovate, right? So thinking of, of the innovation team, innovation capability as the customer, and how do we basically improve that, right? So whether you want to talk about frames or kind of the jobs that innovation ops is, is trying to accomplish, uh, let, let's understand what's involved. So I think the jobs that our portfolio and project management group as part of the innovation operations team is they hold people to task, um, making sure that they have all of the information pulled together before we have a governance meeting. They make sure that all of the people are present at the governance meeting and that everybody truly understands as we move through the stage gate process, what this means to our overall business. Okay. So really, I think they do a fantastic job of holding people accountable to all of the goals that we have as a company. And each person has the same innovation goals. When you say each person has the same innovation goals, what, what might be an example? So an example is there's a financial metric that we need to deliver for the year or for the next three years as it relates to innovation. Everyone understands that's a holistic goal. So even when there's controversies where maybe one function doesn't th think that the product should go th further through the gate process, each one of us has an obligation to figure out a solution to ultimately deliver that financial target. Part of the innovation ops, there's people, process, culture, some tools involved. The process piece of this, I don't know where you started in innovation ops, putting the kind of the tool set together. I, I tend to probably think of process. Maybe some people think of people first. The process of this, you mentioned stage gate. So there's a stage gate sort of thing. There was a, another presentation that, and we had the opportunity to do an interview with the speakers too, on decision gates, the, yeah. where the decisions are actually taking place. And one of the things I saw in 
your presentation was you have a lot of projects in the StageGate process, 900 projects that any of information management system to keep track of all, all of this. Clearly, they're not all making their way to the end. The gate decision is to decide to go to the next you know, level of work or not. Can you just talk about how the gate process kind of works? It starts with an idea. And again, we talked about that can come from anywhere. So then there's a champion of that idea. So the first gate is all about resourcing. We talk about commitment. Is everyone in the organization committed to putting resources toward the idea? Is it going to be a big enough idea? Is it something that we can execute? Once we align that we all want to resource it, mm -hmm. then we go through the process of determining, is this something the consumer wants? Is this something that we feel is going to drive new top line revenue or bottom line profits? So we align at that point around consumer acceptability. Then we work through the technical and operational feasibility. Everyone may love the product, but if you can't make money developing the product, then it's pointless or distributing. Then we go through the process of vetting the feasibility at scale. My team may develop a wonderful tasting product in our kitchens, but we need to make it where it comes off thousands of pieces at a time off of a manufacturing line. So we have to know how to scale it. And once we work through that, then we decide as a company, cross-functionally, is this something that we want to invest in and move forward? Essentially, then getting our sales team on board to go sell in to our customers. I'm most curious about those first state, that first stage or two that I, th I think you addressed in there, which was, is this an idea that we're, we want to get behind? Is there a, a sponsor champion mm -hmm. to really help move this forward? And are we going to resource it if this is the very first gate meeting that we're having, I brought you this great idea. We really need to have Reese's peanut butter cups with licorice in it. You know, <laughs> don't do that. That sounds like a really bad idea. But you already picked the cereal one, so that was there great. You you go, know, yeah. the, the Reese's peanut butter with puffs. At that meeting, is the resourcing just to talk about what do we need to know to take the next step to validate if this is even a good possible idea or not? Or, or what level of resourcing are you talking about? So it's a matter of what cross-functional resources that you need. So there's a variety of innovation projects. Some of them can be just new graphics changes or brands, um, but some of them require brand new products, brand new um, processes. So it's really to determine who needs to resource it and do you have enough available capacity with all of the other things that we're right. working on to put those resources on that particular project given the reward that you could get um, by investing. Innovation Ops, we, we talked about the jobs to get down here a little bit. Is there a framework model? I suspect this comes back to people, process, culture, yeah. tools sort of things. Yeah. yeah, those are all key aspects of it because they all have to be working together. Yeah. I think without the tool, that it, it, it poses a challenge to how you make sure that everyone's working on all the same information yeah. and being able to share that. You have to have the right people and the mindset to innovate as we, we talked about here at the conference and what that means. Having a clear process. I think in organizations the size of Hershey, if you don't have a clear process, 
people just don't know how to get things right. done. So it really helps in the overall execution. Okay, so let's talk about the tool a bit. This is the information management tool. So at the session, Sofian has been helping you with this. So mm -hmm. this is not a paid commercial for Hershey's, even though I certainly recommend them. Reese's peanut butter cups are my favorite, or for Sofian. But to manage this across the organization, and you've broken down some walls, it sounds like, I have more cross-functional interaction, and you have 900 active projects under review at any given time, it sounds like. W when did you bring in an information management system and, and how is that? What, what are the big benefits you've seen? So we basically instituted this right before COVID, which frankly probably is the one big reason that we were so successful during COVID mm -hmm. because we had that single source of truth and we are all working on video, but we were able to connect through that, through that tool. We were all, it was perfect timing. So whether it became the financials, the idea, the risks, we were all able to see the same information. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have to go digging for it in different places. It was all there. So when we had our governance meetings, we were working out of that tool and everyone had the same information, which allowed us to align or we, if we weren't aligned, then we can have the right conversations about why not. How do you manage 900 projects? Because I'm sure there's some listeners going, you, you can't have 900 innovation projects going at the same time. There's not enough hours in the day just to have review meeting. How does that happen? So when you think about that many products, it's not that many projects that you're launching in one year. It's a pipeline. So it's over two, three, four, even five years, depending on what the investment or the technology is. So there's going to be really simple ones that are low complexity mm -hmm. uh, that are going to be relatively easy to execute. Uh, some of those are going to take a lot more time and investment uh, of resources to launch in a few years once we optimize the technology and can scale that. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that, it is about 900 projects over a period of time. And we have these project managers that can then take a group of those projects through the process. I think it comes down to, as you think about those that number of projects, having the right people knowing how to do their job most efficiently mm -hmm. and being able to spread them across those projects has allowed us to be successful. And not all projects make it through all the gates, right? Because we're wanting to use our resources wisely and put them in things that make sense for our customer that we're really excited about. And then so, there's a timeline here. And I s suspect there's some flexibility in the, not everything is going through the same type of gate review. Correct. So, some will go through very quickly. Sometimes you'll see product come through a gate one and then a month later it'll go through gate two and three. Other times you'll see something go through a gate one, it may not go through a gate two for another year. So it does help us to prioritize because we have all of that data in that tool that helps us analyze what does this pipeline look like? What is it worth? How is it spread out over multiple years? How is it spread out over multiple brands mm -hmm. and different segments of our business? because we do have a broad business that's not just confection, chocolate, gum, mint, but we also have a salty business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hershey snacks, right? Exactly. It's not just chocolate anymore. Yeah. It was no. Just mechanically, not to focus on the gay reviews, but this is just in my head, with that number of projects, the, the biggest problem for people using a, a stage gate process, and, and most companies have some kind of agile, you know, working in sprints, and most companies using some kind of a stage gate process, 
how do you manage just scheduling reviews, right? Procter & Gamble, I think, I don't know if they still do this, the second Tuesday of every month or something is, that's their day they schedule gate reviews. Projects, how do you just make use of the resources to do that? So great question. So we do meet twice a month mm -hmm. and we don't review every project sure. every month. In addition, we have been able to be more efficient through one, pre-reads. So all of the information has to be essentially in the system for people to review mm -hmm. three to four days before the meeting. Good. So we have pre-reads. And then we've also instituted what we call pre-approvals. So unless there's a conflict or a controversy to discuss that needs cross-functional alignment or our key decision maker to make the decision on whether or not to go forward, we sign off. Yeah. So we typically only review a subset of all of the projects coming at that gate. Some of them may get approved. Some of them may get put on hold. Some of them may get rejected. Some of them may be redirected. So if you think about that, a lot of that information isn't going to be discussed in the meeting, but it will be captured in the tool and through a, a bi-weekly email that's sent out after each meeting. For people that are interested in what does innovation ops mean to us? And first, I, I want to just distill, when I hear the word ops, I hear the word operationalize, which for me just has negative baggage with my innovation hat on. Because when we operationalize, we're trying to drive out any kind of uncertainty and we wanted to make it reliable and repeatable. You made an analogy to DevOps to think about this. Can you just share that, how, how you think about the contrast here? I think it's interesting. Just as innovation comes within the scenes, I think there's going to always be tension between mm -hmm. divergent and convergent ways of working. Mm -hmm. And I think the best innovation that's going to be most successful is going to be able to do both, right? You're going to have to diverge at some point in the process, typically earlier in the process, whereas later in the process, you need to converge to get to a decision. And it's important to do both because that's how you're gonna get your best innovation is that you're gonna have those divergent perspectives and allow you to innovate. But as everyone has that information and looks at all of the alternatives and options to move forward with, at that point, then you come together and you operationalize which one is gonna be the best solution to go forward. And DevOps doesn't mean that we've driven out the creativity of developers. We're just trying to operationalize the processes around that. And you've seen benefits, right? Faster time to market, yeah. but better products, success in the marketplace. So good things going on. What do you think is a good starting place for companies that are wanting to get into this a little bit? At your scale, I can't imagine not doing this without an information management partner, right? Like Sofian or something. But where's a good place to get started thinking about this more deeply? I think it starts with leadership. It's getting your business owners, your commercial leaders to buy into the fact that at the end of the day, they own the business. And as much as R&D and marketing want to be able to own that innovation piece, if you don't have your commercial partners buy-in, it's never going to make it to your customer. So to me, it really starts with the leadership on the commercial side to say in innovation is an important growth lever for their business and to determine what level of innovation they want. What kind of innovation do they want? Do they want gap fillers or do they want sustainable innovation that's going to eventually be part of their core? So to me, getting that commercial leadership to start and bring those cross-functional team members then together, all of the other things are 
easy. You start to bring in the right tools, the right processes, but if you don't have the leadership, then it's going to be an uphill battle. Right. If you are positioning, this goes back to culture, right? That you are a business owner, right? In R&D, you're not just solving problems. You're a business owner. If everyone's thinking that way, that does get everyone on the same page. Yes. Yeah. We're all business owners. We're all part of innovation. That's where having common innovation goals is important. So it may be set by commercial, but you know within R&D or supply chain that you have an obligation to deliver those goals. And it's part of a holistic, higher, common goal. Very good. Good discussion about innovation ops, uh, a, a new thing for me to be thinking about, right? And the tools that you've put together to, um, and the structure around people, process, culture, tools to get this done. We do like innovation quotes here. Uh, I'm hoping you brought us an innovation quote and you can tell us what that means to you in the context of innovation. I, I love the quote, innovation is a team sport. Hmm. No one person, no one function can do it alone. Mm -hmm. It requires all different skills to be successful, whether they're technical skills, operational skills, financial skills, selling, marketing skills. And so that's where the magic happens. Mm -hmm. It's in that cross-functional collaboration team mindset that we're going to win and we're going to win in the marketplace as a team and as a company. Right. Right. It definitely is a team sport. And bringing it back to if everyone's a business owner, that changes how you think about your participation in that team sport. Yeah. The team analogy previously had a guest on. He what and I wish I could remember his name off the top of my head. He was the executive director of leadership development for Facebook. So he developed the executives. That was his customer, right? And then he went to Google to do the same thing. And he asked me this question. He said, What's the job of the goalie on the soccer team? And of course I said, to keep the ball from going into the goalie. He says, no, the job of the goalie is to win the game. The job of everyone on that team is to win the game. Yeah. And that does change how you think about everyone's role. So really good. I appreciate the quote and all the great information on information ops. Sean, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been my pleasure. And listeners, just as a reminder, the full written summary of everything we discussed and that one-page action guide is at productmasterynow.com slash 464. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.